Welcome to a very special episode of the Cycling Tips Nerd Alert Podcast. I'm your host, James Huang. I'm Dave Rome. And I'm Kaylee Fritz. We have decided to condense our crew a little bit today, uh, just narrowing it down to our editor-in-chief and our Cycling Tips tech editor all the way from Australia, because it's time for the most prestigious, vaunted, and cherished awards in all of cycling, the 2020 Cycling Tippies. Well, I, f- I feel like we have kind of alternated these awards from podcasts to video to, I think, video again, or have we only done this twice now? I think we've only done this twice. Either way, we are now back to podcast form because we can't physically all get together. But Kaylee, we have now done this, yes, for the last couple of years. What are the Cycling Tippies about anyway? And why are they so highly coveted? Well, they're highly coveted because we hand them out. That's really the big, that's the big one here. Uh, obviously, we are the arbiters of all that is good within the bicycle industry and also all that is bad. And mm. that is what the Cycling Tippies are all about. We are going to award things, people, companies that we think have done well. And we are going to shame things, people, companies that we think have done poorly. Oh, and it's a, it's a bit of fun on both sides. You know, we, we, we try to make sure everybody gets a little a little pat on the back and a little poke in the face with a stick. Uh, both of those <laughs> things both of those things are important as, as part of the cycling tippies every year. All right. Well, we are going to jump straight into this because we have a lot of cycling tippy awards to hand out this year. Which means, I guess, are we? What are we mailing out stickers this year to people? Like, the, no, maybe, maybe we'll just email people a sticker. We'll just email yeah. people stickers. Okay, D- Dave, let's start off with you. Mm-hmm. I, I believe you have a category called the most anticipated product that never appeared. What is this? This is a new Shimano Durace, which I think I spoke about well over a year ago as saying it was my most anticipated product. Oh, how wrong I was. Uh, we haven't seen this yet. Uh, Shimano is soon to celebrate a their 100-year anniversary, and I suspect we'll see it then. But, yeah, I was expecting this uh, this year, and we just never saw anything. So it never happened. It's weird, because the product cycle for Shimano is pretty predictable. Yep. And it was supposed it was basically supposed to happen this year. And, and yep. you know, it's entirely possible that something went weird with with supply chains or we you know we've had lots of these issues in the bike industry but yeah i was expecting to expecting to see durace at the tour de france this year in fact is what we were really expecting to see it yeah and we've seen like mock-ups of stuff that might be it but we're we're not really sure and Mm -hmm. you know little birdies tell us that it's yeah little birdies tell us that it's floating around somewhere yeah it exists yeah in at least sort of prototype form but uh, haven't seen it yet. Yeah, it sure feels I mean, like a, a Rona-related delay. Or, you know, it, it actually could have been, I mean, yes, Shimano does have a very predictable product cycle, but it, I mean, it very well could have been that the plan all along was to hold off the new Dura-Ace until their 100th anniversary, because, I mean, kind of makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, although, the, like, the, I was fully expecting a 100th anniversary edition of new Dura-Ace, which I would imagine will happen. In which case, you would already need to have Durais out, or else you're kind of like stealing your own thunder. So oh, that would so, be really cool. You know what would yeah. be really, really super cool while we're on the subject, and then we'll move on? If this 100th anniversary Durais was debuted with like a launch edition sort of thing, and the entire thing was like hand mirror polished, like what you yep. get from Cyclo Retro, that I would buy. That would be so freaking cool. That'd be super cool. In a wooden case. Also, we have like 20 awards to do, and that one took like five minutes. So Okay, okay, we're moving on. We're going to be here for... We we maybe need like to play our own music. You know how you have to get played off the stage? We play ourselves off the stage here. Okay, well, some of these will be shorter. All right, I'll go next. All right. I know this is going to be a little bit of a controversial award. Some people may not like it. But I have an award for the most significant new bike, and I'm actually giving that to the Specialized Athos. Uh, no, James, and, that's incorrect. Uh, we have um, Cervelo Caledonia on my list. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, yours is most important. Mine's oh. most significant. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. How, how, totally it's a very different. subtle difference. Very totally subtle. Difference. I feel like we can combine. We can combine these two. I 
I kind of agree with both of you. I like both well, those bikes quite, well, here's my, quite a here's, lot. Here's my argument, okay? I mean, the Athos, I mean, yes, it's super light, but it really doesn't break any new ground. Like, it's not like it's like this huge revolution. I mean, it's basically just a return to what bikes used to be. But that's why I think it's significant because we have been on this huge push for, you know, more arrow, more arrow, more arrow. And, you know, everything. everything's in terms of watts and seconds and all this other, you know, scientific stuff. And the Athos, while it's, yes, incredibly light, um, I mean, it's just a super light and fun and nice handling, really good riding bike. And like, it's basically just an awesome bike to ride. And I really appreciate that a company, a major label company finally has reverted back to providing a bike for people who don't really care about how fast it is necessarily. My 2008 Scott Addict yes. would like to have a word with you. Yes. I was I was just thinking <laughs> of that bike, which is uh, yeah, 2020, the year that the 2008 Scott Addict comes back with disc brakes. Yes, I know, but but, but again, like and the, wins awards. I mean, but the but those bikes. I mean, I had one of those bikes too, and I mean the thing is, they were awesome. They were awesome to ride. They were super fun, and you know, yes, I mean, we know now that they are technically slower than bikes that are heavier and more aerodynamic. But I don't care because I'm not racing. And I would love to see more companies kind of return back to this because most people aren't racing either. Can I put my hand up for the Cal- Caledonia? Yes, this, like, please do. Kind of same segment because I know that there, there is, there's actually some internal debate here at Segment Tips as to, as to how good this bike is. And it has some quirks that we don't necessarily like, like the bottom bracket and a couple other things. Uh, on the five, you have to rerun the brake lines to change the stem length. That's dumb. Hate that. But as sort of like a genre, and in fact, the non-five version, which is the version that I recommended to a friend of mine and, and that he absolutely loves now. And I'm currently writing up a review on. Yeah, it's just a really, really solid bike. And it, it gets all it gets the geometry right. It's like not super, super racy, but doesn't sort of slack it out to the point where you feel like you're on a gravel bike. But you can fit a big old tire in there, which then you know bumps the trail out to actually pretty close to gravel bike kind of numbers it's just to they they nailed it they nailed it for the type of road quote unquote road riding that a lot of us do these days if you're not racing anymore if you're not trying to go as fast as possible you know one avenue is this ethos that you're okay you're trying to go as fast as possible or so you're trying to be as light as possible but not don't necessarily care about arrow caledonia is kind of the other side of that where I don't really care about being light either. Yeah. <laughs> it's another thing that it's not, but doesn't it's, have a it's huge amount of impact heavy. on the way that yeah. I'm riding. Yeah. And it's not exactly heavy either. So no. Plus, 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 you can get a Caledonia, I think it's with 105, yeah. for like 2,900 bucks. Mm-hmm. And with Altegra for 3,500 bucks. That's a really good deal on a carbon bike. And we're talking about the Specialized, where the cheapest one is like double that or triple that. Yeah. So I think that that's that's a more interesting bike of the year for me. Yeah. And I think uh the Caledonia will will set a trend. I mean, we there were some bikes already doing this like Trektamano comes to mind, but you know, a road bike that can actually fit a tire that's properly sized for doing a bit of gravel. Uh I think we're going to see more of this and when you consider the fit of that Caledonia, it's, it looks like a race bike, right? It looks like an aero race bike and it's cool looking. But then the looks fit good. the fit of it and the tires, I mean, that makes it such a good bike for like an older generation of rider that are currently still riding race bikes that with a ton of spaces underneath the stem and maybe even the stem flipped upright you know this type of fitting you know more relaxed fitting race bike i think is is a very cool thing that said yes road bikes are sweet and the new specialized man that is a fantastically riding road bike yeah and there's something to be said for that like james said yeah nonetheless caledonia gets my vote for most important bike of the year. All right. All right. Dave, what's next on your list? Uh, well, we've got most anticipated product of 2021, which is Shimano Durace. <laughs> so come on, 2021. Don't fail me. Uh, we can skip over that. We've covered that. Um, yeah. Best new competition to an existing product category goes to. Uh, I called it uh, called it a few months ago in the podcast. I, I said chain loops were, were in the golden age of chain loops. And, uh, oh, we are in... We are in the golden age of chain loops right now. There is just wax for all. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to throw a wrench into, into your works here a little bit, Dave, because one of the things that we just talked about in this week's weekly Cycling Tips pod yes. is 
the proliferation of these PFAS class of chemicals that are highly toxic and never degrade and are in all sorts of things, including all sorts of bicycle lubes. So we are unfortunately going to find out that. So we are unfortunately about to find out in all likelihood that many of these fancy chain lubes and waxes that are in this golden age of bicycle drive chain lubrication will kill you. Yes. So we're about to render yes. most of them obsolete anyway. <laughs> yes and no. I think Ceramic Speed's new lube is is fine to rub all over yourself. Um, and then <laughs> I also believe Silka's waxes, while they have chemicals that are still being researched for toxicity, uh, are not quite in that same level as Teflon thingies. Yeah. But Maybe. yes, uh, I think, yeah, the, you know, these new, these new lubes, they... They reduce drivetrain friction and they reduce drivetrain wear. So, yeah, fewer wasted components, less resistance when you pedal. Um, you know, it's a good time to be into chain loops. Just in time for us to go back to looping our chains with olive oil. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 All right. I'll go next. My most ridiculous award. This one actually also goes to Specialized. For the Hot Walk Carbon, which is a $1,000 carbon strider bike with carbon wheels. Do I think it is cool? Kind of? Yes. Do I think it is absolutely ridiculous? Definitely. Both those things are true. I I, I think it's super ridiculous because it looks extremely close and similar to uh, some balance bikes I saw at the Taipei Cycle Show over a year ago. Um from a nondescript OE producer. Um, so, yeah, not throwing Specialized under the bus. I actually think it's a very cool bike, but, uh, yeah, $1,000. I mean, that said, that said, I have no doubt that Specialized will sell every single one of those that they make. I bet they've already sold them all. They, they may have. They may have. <laughs> they're already pro- gone. Yeah, pro- probably half of them to industry people. And the other half yep. to anyone that owns an S-Works and young Maybe. children. Did you just imply uh, just, that you own your small children? I, I was just gonna say. I mean, that, <laughs> depend, depending on how you read that, or depending <laughs> on how, how you how you listen to that one, that one could have been taken the taken the wrong way. Surely, you, if you have kids, you you own them until they. I would they argue. Come I would. I would. I would argue that they own you. <laughs> true. True. All right. Let's move on. My award for most mysterious of 2020 goes to the new UCI frame regulations. Because right now, while we have an idea of where these regulations are getting relaxed in terms of tube shaping and stuff like that, we currently have really no idea what these bikes are going to look like in this new era of UCI technical rules. Because most companies, even though even if they acknowledge that these new rules are coming into play, they're kind of like, eh, we're not super into them. We're not really going to change our bikes that much. So we don't really know. Yeah, it does seem... Uh... Like the boundaries were already pushed a little, so I think we'll see. I think we'll see these play more of an impact on uh, uh, potentially like time trial triathlon style and track first. And yeah. Track and, well, yeah. but okay. But here's the thing: is these changes were pushed for by the industry group, yep. WFSGI or whatever. If they didn't have plans to take advantage of those changes, then the industry group would not be pushing for them. Right, so th- th- there's for sure going to be stuff that comes out of this. That you know, th- there are there are companies that have plans that say we think we can sell X, Y, and Z if these rules change. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. And th- and this is something we had in a, a previous podcast episode, uh, which we spoke with um, Graham Shrive, who's the head of engineering at Factor Bikes, and he was he was sort of alluding to the fact that these new UCR regulations may have more of an impact uh, for making bikes more comfortable than they will more aero. Um, and he sort of pointed towards like the the Focus Paralane, their their sort of endurance road bike, where it's got a a really slender seat tube, um, and he sort of suggested that that bike originally was meant to be even, you know, almost like a leaf spring uh, in terms of where the seat tube shaped um around the rear wheel uh, and that they couldn't do that because of the ucr regulations and these new rules would let that happen so yeah could be uh could be some things happening but i think it's safe to say that for some bike launches that are going to happen in 2021 uh, I, i think it's very safe to say that we are likely going to see the impacts of these new regulations hitting sometime next year yep yes 
Agreed. All right, Dave, what's next on your list here? Well, it kind of follows on from the uh, the chain loop stuff, which is, um, yeah, the best new trend is uh, more eco-awareness in products. So for me, uh, we've seen it with packaging at least, you know, the likes of uh, Trek and Cannondale recently. Uh, before that, you had Bjorn bikes out of Canada. And Vast. And Vast and uh, Canyon as well, deserves a mention, because their, their packaging, especially their new packaging, is, is um, very light on the plastic. Uh, and all about being reusable and corrugated cardboard and all that. So, yeah, but, uh, you know, this I think this is just a trend we're seeing more and more of, and there's more pressure from consumers for, for brands to follow. And, you know, once you've got brands like Trek and Cannondale starting to talk about this stuff, I think we'll see others follow suit very soon. And that is all a good thing. I mean, we definitely have been seeing a lot more cardboard in use in packaging and and. A little bit less plastic, at least, you know, like like you said, in some little pockets of the pockets of the bicycle industry, we are still seeing an awful lot of like foam and plastic in general mm. and bubble wrap. And you know, actually, was just talking to uh, someone who runs a small a small drivetrain accessory company who wants to send a product our way for review, and they sent us a picture of their fancy new packaging, and I was like, oh, that's a big old huge chunk of cutout foam, and he was like. Yeah, I know, but it's like this thing's expensive and people want to see like fancy packaging, not like some ugly corrugated cardboard. I'm like, oh, I mm. don't know about that. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, we've obviously still got a very long way to go in the industry, but, you know. And training every... consumers. What's that? Too. And training and tra- consumers. And training consumers. Yeah. I mean, you know, to, 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 that, to that individual's point, you know, they've got fancy new little item that they want to put in a fancy package, but consumers need to demand packaging that doesn't involve a giant piece of cutout foam right i mean that that that's brands are going to tilt to to what consumers want right and yeah. and i think that as a that's that's kind of where we come in as well as as bike media is we can start talking about these things and people can can realize that that that's, that can be something that they value and that they can push for and then you know slow, slowly we get some change on this front so fingers crossed we get more of that going forward i think it's going to be a slow process though it is yep. for sure, but yep. and the we'll other see. the other big thing with this trend is uh, you know we're seeing a shift, slow shift to, back towards metal bikes um, in the industry, and uh, but you know there's a long way to go still with you know carbon bikes and brands holding as high of a tolerance as they can to ensure their warranty rates are, are lower, and you know so there are some very very big steps still to be had here. Funny you should mention metal bikes, Dave, because that mm. feeds in perfectly to my category, my next category oh, yeah? here. Yeah. Because uh, I have a category for most promising slash most flammable frame material cycling tippy. That award goes to magnesium. Ooh. Yeah. Because, I mean, I did test that vast gravel bike earlier this year. And while I did, you know, while I didn't necessarily find a lot of things about the bike itself to be super awesome, uh, like, you know, frame geometry being one of them. I have a lot of hope for the material itself because the bike actually rode really, really nicely. Uh, magnesium is, you know, quite a bit cheaper than carbon fiber, uh, quite a bit more accessible to a lot of people. Uh, like I said, it rides great. It is metal, and at least in theory anyway, it's recyclable as opposed to thermal set carbon fiber, which is basically not. Um, and, you know, the bikes were light and I think they look good. And there are a lot of different ways that you can form magnesium. So there's going to be going to be a, you know potentially a lot of different ways that these bikes can be put together and how they're going to look and everything. And I think this actually seems pretty promising. So I would love to see magnesium bikes finally realize the potential that people have been talking about with this stuff for years. Kind of feels like we need to see a big brand adopt it for it to really go somewhere. I mean, while it's you know it's while it's just a small player trying to push it push effectively what's their own material you know from their parent company i unfortunately i just don't see it uh becoming the material we all hope it to be nope i agree but like could you imagine basically a magnesium version of like a specialized alley sprint or something like that something that uses like really really cutting edge aluminum forming technology i mean that could be super super cool yeah or Trek, if you're listening uh bring back the klein name make some magnesium yes yes Yes. I will buy one. 
they probably won't catch on fire. They Maybe won't not. catch on fire. Not with the amount of paint they'll have to put on to <laughs> get that like sweet Imron effect. That's true. That's true. It'll, it, but yeah. but those but then those frames are going to end up being like you know two thousand grams or something. Half of it in paint. <laughs> yeah, but it's going to look so cool. <laughs> All right, Dave, what you got? Well, mine mine all turn negative after this. So, James, I noticed on your list you still had some happy ones. Uh, you've got a breathing new life into old stuff award. I do, I do. Uh, I, I'm a you know kind of along this whole whole theme of kind of eco friendliness and stuff like that. Um, I mean, one conversation I had with um, this guy in uh, I think he's in the Netherlands. I can't remember now. Uh, Eric Brunsvoort. Uh, sorry, Eric. I know I just butchered your name, but he is trying to push for. Uh, much higher levels of sustainability throughout the bicycle industry. And one of the ways that he is trying to get people to, you know, or trying to get bicycles to be more sustainable in general is to encourage more people to basically just buy things that they know will last a long time and, or just keep what they have and just, you know, figure out a way to keep it running and make sure that you are happy with it. And along that line, there is a UK company called Ratio Technology that came out with this conversion kit for SRAM 11-speed double-tap road levers to convert them to 12-speed. And in their case, it's specifically for the purpose of pairing them with uh, SRAM 12-speed Eagle rear mountain bike derailleur so that you have a legitimate 1x12 mechanical road drivetrain. Uh, and the reason why I think this is really cool is because, I mean, we, I mean, I didn't have SRAM mechanical drivetrains on my 10 favorites list for this year, uh, but Dave and... Kaylee, I think. Well, actually, no. Who was it? Kaylee, it was you and Kaylee, somebody. You definitely did. Yeah, and Ian, I, Ian, Ian and I Ian, did. Ian, that's right. Yeah. So the two of you had SRAM mechanical uh, drivetrains on your list of you know your ten products that you loved in 2020. And the reason why I'm really excited about this ratio stuff is because I agree that the SRAM mechanical stuff is awesome. I mean, I actually, I really really enjoy it, but it's it's in desperate need of an update. And I would have to hope that SRAM is coming out with an update of its own. I mean, everyone's expecting it to go 12-speed to match up with the electronic access stuff and whatnot. But in the meantime, there are plenty of 11-speed SRAM mechanical drivetrain owners who I think would really grab onto something like this if it can extend the life of what they have and make it more usable and kind of modernize it without having to spend a ton of money. I mean, this kit is not very expensive. It is very easy to install, and it works quite well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so that these people with these existing 11-speed SRAM bikes would just need... What a new eagle derailleur, a new cassette, a new chain, and this ratio kit, and they're they're away, right? Pretty much, yeah. Or uh, I'm playing around with some other with some other variations as well, and uh, one of them basically just you know involves taking these 11 speed levers, dropping in this ratchet kit, and you know continuing to use essentially like you know a, a red 22 Y fly rear derailleur, and essentially what you get at that point is a red 24 drivetrain. I mean, it's a little bit quirky at that point. Uh, I mean, ratio doesn't say that it works exactly perfectly at that point uh, or in that combination, but the idea of being able to take a, a SRAM Red 22 group, mechanical group set, I mean, it's super light, feels good, works well, all that stuff, and then being able to convert it into a 2x12 for not a huge amount of money, like I said, it sounds really, really promising. Hmm. Cool. Long live the derailleur cable. Yay. I'm a little bit concerned that that stuff's just going to start to disappear at the top of the market, and I really hope it doesn't because uh, I would be sad. The thing is, we it, it already has been because we have all these bikes that are on the market that are electronic only at the very high yeah. end. So Such we, you know, as your, your most... Uh... What was what was the award? Your the most, most uh, significant uh, new most bike. Most significant. Not, not to be mm. confused with most, with most important. Yeah, totally different. Yeah, totally different. Totally different. But anyway, but there, yeah, there are all sorts of new bikes, new high-end bikes that are designed to be electronic only, whether it be wired or wireless. So, I mean, as much as the three of us all would love to continue to see the development and progression of mechanical cable actuated drivetrains, I just don't know if that's actually going to happen. I mean, it's it's mm -hmm. it's sort of become it's sort of going the way of like the stick shift in automobiles. It's like a a passion enthusiast sort of thing, as opposed to a technological progression thing. And I own a stick shift in my truck as well. Yeah, I think the <laughs> benefit back here of this being is... curmudgeonly. <laughs> I think the benefit is that we will see the good mechanical stuff um, trickle down to like you know 105 and Tiago levels. You know, like all the features that currently 
are on Altegra and Durace, and you know that makes that stuff just that little bit better. I think we'll, it'll probably will trickle down eventually, but that's um, also sad because then we won't see it at the high end. Yeah, you guys are bumming me out here. Sorry, I'm bummed. Sorry. All right, well let's let's continue down the sad path, Dave. We're just gonna go negative here. What you got? Oh, oh, oh! Do I have some things? <laughs> um, sorry, let me just get my my shiv out, and that is a pun because uh, I'd like to give an award to the most successfully pu- uh, most successful brand for pushing prices higher, um, and that goes to the creator of the shiv, uh, Specialized. Um, it's a very, very specialized, heavy award show this year. It is. It is. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you mentioned the. You mentioned their new super lightweight road bike, um, and that is one of the bikes responsible for it. Uh, the other one that comes to mind is their new S-Works Epic, which in Australia is $19,000. But those are Australian dollars, which is like fourteen fifty US or something like that. Which is still $14.50. amount of money. That's, that's more than like, you know, a day's wage in the US. <laughs> 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 No, yes. you're, you're right. I, I, I kid, but nineteen thousand of of pretty much any any uh, dollar doesn't matter what, what kind of yeah. dollar it is, uh, yeah. with the with a few notable exceptions globally. But yeah, that's a lot of money. It's a huge yeah. amount of money, and it's a little bit absurd. And it's and a whole a lot of in, absurd, and a little bit insulting. Like it's a little bit insulting because you start to look around at at the cost of things like motorcycles yes and you're like how do they make an entire motorcycle for half the price mm-hmm. of an epic s-works yeah yeah so like, i've ridden i've ridden this bike and i can attest it is amazing it is such an amazing bike it is I mean, it's just it's the epic has been the know. best cross-country bike in the world for a decade right yes so no, and this, no, no and this new one is you know is is you know a good it's not you know it's not a massive step above the last but it's a decent step forward and it is a fantastic bike it is the benchmark but you know like there are brands that were pre-existing specialized for having such expensive bikes you know pinarello comes to mind but the market isn't being uh the market doesn't follow a brand like pinarello you know the likes of Trek aren't necessarily, or likes of Giant aren't necessarily going to be like, okay, Pinarello F12 is selling for, what's it, 6,000 US a frame or something like that. Let's just let's just make our frame set that price so we can compete with Pinarello. But when a brand the size of Specialized decides to follow, unfortunately, others do too. And, you know, Trek's not going to want to be seen as the cheaper version of a Specialized. You know, they're going to want to try match Specialized in price to not be seen yeah. as a product. And it's just, it's sort of untethering the price of the product from the amount that it takes to make it, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you could make lots of arguments about R&D and, and all the rest and, and the fact that it's just sort of a halo product and, yeah. you know, it's designed to, to make everything else look cheaper, basically, yeah. uh, in a lot of ways. But it's still it still skews the entire market and it's so it's so far separated from the actual cost of making that bicycle that yeah. i find it insulting that it's that, yeah. that, it's, that, that something could be that much money well i'm just going to make one more comment on this before we move on i would argue that the pricing the retail pricing of high end bicycle goods has been well bikes in particular has been fairly disconnected to the cost of their production now yes. for quite some time and you know, certainly anyone listening to this who is familiar with the with the with the term, I mean that that whole Veblen good uh, phrase is going to come up. You know, the, the idea that the idea that just by pricing it higher makes it more desirable, not less. Mm-hmm. And I think we are very very much in that territory here. I mean, we already were. 100%. Yeah. But the fact that you know Specialized continues to push that envelope even higher by quite a ways. I mean. I don't know. To, I, I mean, at least around here, anyway. I don't know anybody who's going to drop nineteen thousand dollars on a mountain bike and then actually ride it around in the woods with all sorts of sharp rocks and other things mm. around. You you haven't seen all of the Boulder Juniors on the S Works Epics? But how many of them yeah. paid retail for those things? <laughs> well, that's in a, in Australia. They're sold out of these things, and you know, like the S Works level e bikes, for example, they they cannot get enough of them. So people are absolutely putting down the money for these things. Um, well, and people and, are starting to do yeah. things like like finance bicycles. Yeah, 
which is a whole separate i can't i can't remember people financing bicycles 10 or 15 years ago and all of a sudden we're in this realm where people are treating them like cars and you're and you've got your bike payment uh it's just just insane obviously we have no we have no control over this and specialized will continue to do this and other companies will continue to do this because that makes them more money and this is capitalism and that's how they're supposed to work but it doesn't mean that we can't complain about it we yeah. can at least yell about it. That's all we can do. <laughs> and we are likely going to complain about this more moving forward because for sure, Dave, as you mentioned, this is a practice that other companies are bound to adopt. So 100%. boo, boo. This Cycling Tippy Award that we're going to send out <laughs> may have some dog poop rubbed on it first. <laughs> boo, boo, boo. Anyway, moving on. My next category is the closest to its deathbed award. And that goes to... Tubular tires. Ooh. It's a good thing Zach's not here. He'd be crying. Well, so here's the thing, okay? I will be the first to admit that really nice tubular tires are still absolutely amazing. They're super light. They ride incredibly well. You know, certainly in like a cross environment, you know, when you have like an like an awesome cotton casing tubular at, you know, glued on well, low PSI. I mean, those tires are amazing. But it is such an impractical technology that even in amateur, you know, higher end amateur cross racing where tubulars still enjoyed a really firm foothold. I mean, those are still going away in favor of tubeless technology because as tubeless has gotten better, it just makes it so much more, you know, attainable to have a bunch of different tire treads and tech and, you know, casings and whatnot for different courses. And then you have the situation where, you know, Roval has, you know, Dave, you wrote this article a few months ago about how mm -hmm. they were very open about the fact that they are no longer investing in tubular technology. They have, they see it, they see it basically as a vestige of the past and they're no longer going to support it moving forward. Yeah. And yet, and yet the majority of victories on Roval teams at the Tour de France came on tubulars. Yes, they did. <sighs> yes, they did. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is definitely, this is definitely one of those things that Tubulars still make a bunch of sense for the world's professional riders who have professional mechanics, full-time mechanics that are there to every time you pick up a bit of glass to give you a new wheel and then fix it in their own time. Um, and the rider has no no say or no uh, extra work to do in that in that sense. Um, and I think the riders are going to lose out here because the market is absolutely moving away from tubulars because they just don't make sense for the consumer. And it's going to be one of those things that, unfortunately, like disc brakes, um, is going to be pushed into the world tour because it's what's best for the consumer. Cross is dead, by the way. I thought I'd just throw that in there. Cross, mm. dead. I'm, I'm doing the little, like, neck cut symbol. Why? Because it's dead. Because yes, yes. kill, killed by gravel. No one cares. Or more recently, killed by, more recently, I'd say even killed by COVID. But killed, killed by COVID and killed by killed by gravel because it's been on a on a at least here in the U.S. It's been on a pretty precipitous decline in the last two or three years. Yeah, and that and that is further reason to sort of for companies not to invest in tubulars because that was one of the last places where you'd go to a, a cross race on the weekend and you know basically everybody in the higher categories is running tubulars. Yeah, you know, well, in general, but now that. It, it, that those categories are a lot smaller. That's just even less reason to to make those wheels. Well, Kaylee, funny that you should mention the whole you know the fact that most professional road wins came on tubulars because that is true. Uh, because that feeds perfectly into my next cycling tippy category, which is the Zombie Tech Award, aka tech that just won't die. And that cycling tippy goes to rim brakes. Da da da. Well, but we've solved this because Bianchi is going to have a disc brake bike <laughs> for are. all the teams next year. And they anyway, are. all the teams are all the teams are changing bikes anyway. So you know, the the big one this year was Jumbo Visma on Bianchi winning everything on rim brakes on Bianchi's, and they're not on they're not on Bianchi's next year. So they're going to be back on disc brakes. And I think most of the peloton, as we've been saying for the last couple of years, is going to continue more and more and more disc brakes. Ineos might be the last real holdout. I think year, they are. They're really they are just the not holdout. into them. Yeah. They're they're not into them at all. And like they, you know, if if they were going to switch, they would have done it already. They certainly have had ample opportunity to do so. Um, but you know, I you know, I made the argument earlier this year that the reason why teams like Yumbo Visma and 
uh, Ineos were still running on rim brakes was not because they thought rim brakes were necessarily better. It's more because, in their case, their bikes were really heavy. And they had to run rim brakes because their bikes were too heavy and they needed to make them lighter. But that being said, there is still a huge level of support among amateurs for rim brakes for a variety of reasons. A lot of good ones, I will add. Um, and as much as new bicycles are basically no longer going to be available with rim brakes, with with few exceptions. I mean, like the, the new Giant TCR, for example. I mean, Giant is still offering that bike in rim brakes and disc brakes. Um, but for the most part, you know, it's, it's you know, th this huge conversion and mass to disc brakes, like, you know, wholesale top to bottom, it's, you know, there are still some holdouts on the rim brake front. And it, like I said, it just won't quite die. Won a lot of races this year. The, the data don't lie, James. This is just numbers. Well, it's you know, obvious. I, I, I said earlier, right? I mean, obviously this means that rim brakes are faster, clearly. 100%. Oh, wait. Yeah. No, wait, no, that's not really how that works, is it? Hashtag save the rim brake. Mm. Hashtag team tube inside. Team tube inside. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just All right. Captain Curmudgeon over here. Speaking of team tube inside, Kaylee, you actually have a category that you'd like to toss into this as well related to that, don't you? We just sort of briefly mentioned or sort of tangentially mentioned this prior, but the, the uh, most confusing reversal, uh, tubeless reversal, it, for me, this year was the Specialized Roval. Sorry, I shouldn't say Specialized, right? It's, it's Roval. It's not Totally separate company. Totally separate. Uh, Roval suddenly deciding that tubeless, road tubeless is bad. This is from a company that had spent a couple years telling us that road tubeless was amazing, that had developed its own road tubeless sealant, that had run many, many advertisements about how much faster road tubeless can be and how you would never flat and all blah, 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 blah. And then we get these wheels, and if we look at them, we're like, yeah, those look pretty tubeless. They've got the shelf, they've, you know, the, the, everything's taped up, it's all ready to go. And then Roval says, no, no tubeless for you. Yep. Uh, put latex tubes in. <laughs> we're yep. like, Okay. <laughs> and that, that, that clearly tubeless compatible tubeless rim tape has these big old icons all over it, all over that says not tubeless. Don't be fooled. Lies. So something happened in the development of these wheels. We think these wheels were supposed to be tubeless. Now they're not tubeless and specialized Roval. It's just not really telling us why. And it's all very strange. And yes, it's the most strange reversal of marketing focus from any brand in 2020 yeah we'll call that the award and i must long. say i i'm well overdue to review these wheels i've been riding them quite a bit lately and both the rapide which is like the the aero wheel and the alpinus which is like the the shallow wheel both are amazing but that sticker on the rim telling you does not set them up tubeless is uh is still the biggest cloud hanging over it's very strange hoops it's very very, very strange very strange. Yeah. All right, Dave, you're up. What you got here? What do I have next? All right. Uh, most annoying internal routing design. So we've seen 2020 was pretty good for new annoying internal cable routing designs, I have to say. There were there were many, many annoying new entrants into this one. Because let's uh, just make it very clear at this point, none of them are really what I would consider good. None mm. of them... Mm. I mean, the fact that you have to cut your brake line to change a headset bearing with pretty much all of them is is a problem. You change um, headset bearings? Well, no. We give the bikes back before <laughs> before the headset bearings need greasing. But you know, my down the my line, usual thing is I ride the bike until it starts making noise. I take note of where the noise is coming from, and then I send it back to them. And I'm like, yeah. guys, your bike's making noise. So sometimes yeah. that's like three weeks. You're like, what? What? How? This is terrible. <laughs> and I can't. cue the hate mail. Um, but yeah, so the award uh, specifically, I'd like to give this award to FSA and their ACR system. Um, no real reason, just mainly that it's kind of pitched as the as a as a um, off the shelf solution for smaller brands to adopt. So there are quite a few brands that have adopted this. So and many are not actually all that small. So Bianchi and Merida and um, a bunch of other Italian brands that I'm currently failing to think of. Uh, DeRosa are, right? is another one. Willier, uh, I think Willier as well. Um, 
anyway, there's there's a long list of brands that have adopted this system, and it is not that nice to work on. It is, uh, yeah, quite the mess. It's clean looking on the outside, mm-hmm. but uh, clearly they did not get their internal mechanics involved in this decision making process because, uh, yeah, it's not great. No. Yeah, this minus one, this one... minus five points, as I said, to the Caledonia as well, which we gave props yes. to earlier because you do have to all of these bikes. Any any bike where you have to cut a hydraulic line to make any change, big or small, is a bad design. That should yeah. just be like the blanket statement. All bike engineers in the bike world, if you're designing a bike and you're gonna make us cut your brake line for almost any reason, barring a like complete rebuild. Any you're, cockpit change whatsoever, you're fired. you've done it wrong. You've yep. done it wrong. Go yep. back to the drawing board and start yep. over. And what's funny is, like, I think BMC were probably one of the first to conceal the cables, and they actually did it by hiding the cables underneath the stem through a removable port. So you could change stems, you can change handlebars without having to cut anything. Which is kind of like the, the specialized brands, system now. Yeah, but all these brands that have come out since have made a grave error. It's bad. It's yeah, I mean, other brands have have figured out how to not run the lines inside the stem and the handlebar, like yeah. you know, Trex integrated. Yeah, yeah uh, you know, Trex integrated front end. I mean, those, those yep. lines are run externally. Um, you know, so those those are marginally better. But yes, I mean, the, the the vast majority of them do still run the lines inside the upper headset bearing. No good. Very very mm. very bad. Stamp of disapproval. And and to take this further, we're now seeing mountain bikes adopt similar. Oh, yes. No. Oh, you yeah. know, I, I had I had a fun conversation the other day with some of our colleagues from Pink Bike about flat mm. mount. Mm. Mm. Universal hate. Universal. Yeah. The, the Canyon Exceed hardtail that I've been testing has both a flat mount brake on the rear and internal cable routing through the top headset bearing. Ugh. It's Ugh. it's just it's yeah. The amount, the, of, the, the amount of new tech you get for your money is amazing. The Cannondale FSI I've got has a flat mount rear with a post mount adapter. Mm. Yes. <laughs> yes. Who know, who knows why? Uh, yes. <laughs> Nobody knows yes. why. You know, we, did, didn't we didn't we say a, a few episodes ago that we were gonna like not really harp too much on the on your your bike engineer hates you thing? Yeah. I Sometimes. feel like we're kind of I feel like we're kind of on that again. We're on the edge of it. We are. Yeah. We are. But your right. your bike engineer loves you. Just it's sort of like a it's a spiky love. It's like a, you know. It's kind of how like it like like <laughs> it's kind of like how in the animal kingdom you know certain certain animals mate and then one of them kills the other one. Yeah. Is that it's that kind of it's that kind of love. Yeah. Speaking <laughs> of love for the industry, James, you've got an award here. Uh, tech that makes so much sense that it's guaranteed to never see the light of day. Yes, yes. Ooh, that good award. about this award. Good that award. That Cycling Tippy Award goes to 3T for its Wham and Ram tire measurement scenario, which is width as measured and radius as measured. And the system that 3T has proposed is instead of having these sort of arbitrary, you know, 700 by 35 or, you know, 650 by 47, whatever, which you know, may or may not measure 47 millimeters wide or 35 millimeters wide or whatever, now, you know, give or take a window, of, you know, depending on what rim you're running and pressure and all that. Wham and Ram, what those systems recommend is that the tire measurement that is provided is the actual tire measurement on a particular rim. So like, you know, if you had- sh- to- sh- You shush with the heresy, James. This I know, is, this I know, is- I know. It's it's so it's so logical that it will absolutely never see the light of day. So, you know, what, what this sort of thing suggests is that if you have, say, a 28 millimeter road tire that actually measures 30 millimeters on a particular rim, you would have like, you know, that, that tire would be rated like, you know, what would be like Wham 23, which is, you know, the width as measured on a 23 millimeter rim equals say 30 millimeters or something. So you would have an actual measurement on a known designated internal rim width and an absolute number that you can reliably say is what the tire will actually measure when the, when the tire is installed on a rim of that width. Or you have another dimension 
for the same tire, say, you know, wham 19 equals some other number. Either way, you have numbers that actually correspond to the physical measured width of the tire in real life. Because, for example, there was a thread on our Velo Club Slack channel quite a while ago for someone who was looking to max out the tire size on their somewhat older road bike. And they were basically going on the numerical printed sizes for the tires that they had currently switching to a newer model from the same company. And it was a completely different size. And of course they had already mounted the tires and found out later that it didn't fit and they couldn't return the tires. So that was a big waste of money. However, if those tires had been labeled using this wham and ram system, this person would have known exactly how wide the tires would have been. They could have made a logical informed purchase and would not have wasted money and they could have gotten exactly what they wanted. Yeah. But imagine if a kind surprise, do you have a kind surprise? Of course. Surprise. <laughs> yes. Imagine if a kind yes. surprise just had what was in the toy, like just printed on the tinfoil outside. Where's the fun in that? Like, you know, sometimes you win. Sometimes you get like this great little, <laughs> this great little matchbox car inside that you can drive around and do sweet stuff with. Other times you get a six piece puzzle and that's just the game you play. It's a perfect analogy. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, that is, that is perfect. Yes. Yeah, see, but the, I guess the thing with the Kinder Surprise is no matter what you end up with inside, you still have this lovely chocolate egg that you can eat. Yeah. Whereas if you have the wrong tire, you end up with nothing. You end up with tires that you can't use, <laughs> and a big hole in your bank account, and not even a chocolate egg. Now, if that if that tire that didn't fit came with a chocolate egg, then perhaps I could forgive it, forgive it for being, you know, sort of misleadingly labeled. But I cannot. <laughs> So tire so companies that, either... That fig- sounds like a more reasonable solution then. Just including that, a chocolate egg? Yeah, tires ship with chocolate eggs so that if you get the wrong one, at least you still get something out of it. This is attainable. This is attainable. I could see the industry adopting this. Oh, man. Oh, wow. It's like, okay. it's like, it's like just apologies in advance. That's what the chocolate egg is. It's like, we're sorry. You, you yeah. got like 50-50 shot of this working. So... <laughs> Oh, did we did we also forget to mention? Oh, this tire is tubeless. Uh, also, might not work with your rim. Might fall off. Don't know. We, we're just yeah. not sure. So here's your chocolate egg, just in case, because yeah. that will make you feel better regardless. Yeah, we've solved it. <laughs> the chocolate egg solution. Okay. Good, good job, team. All right. Well done. All we've right. Done well, it. that 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 leads into my next category, which is also wheel and tire related, which is my rise from the ashes award. Which goes to Mavic. Because mm-hmm. if you have been keeping up with the news, uh, Mavic has undergone certainly no small amount of corporate turnover. or Mavic has gone through no small amount of corporate turmoil in the last few months. Uh, it went through a period where they were being sold, but you know, no one really knew who owned them and no one really knew what the state of it was, including people who worked there. And now they have been, I guess you could call it rescued, I suppose. Uh, They have been brought back from the brink and they are supposedly kind of back up and running. They just released a whole ton of, you know, purportedly new wheels that kind of are in typical Mavic fashion. They they seem probably very heavily engineered and they probably ride really nicely, but they're not necessarily totally in keeping with industry trends. It is Mavic still. That being said, I am really glad to see that Mavic did not go under and that they are still going to be around because they were at least on the right path to being coming to come back into relevancy. And I would love to see what Mavic's level of engineering and attention to detail could do applied to kind of more on-trend features like wider rims and that sort of thing. Agreed. Happy for them. They're... they're- it- I, I I would imagine that R and D and things were heavily impacted negatively by all of the business things that happened over the last two years or so. Yes. And so the hope is that now that they're underneath or out from underneath that cloud, that they could start, you know, putting the time and effort and money and, and resource into the areas that, that need it. Uh, fingers crossed. I'm not. I'm not totally confident that they're out of the woods, but I'm. I'm with you, James. I'm. I'm happy that they've. They've at least released 
what they've released, <laughs> and, that, and that they seem to be pointed in the right direction. Oh, they are most definitely not out of the woods. No question, they are not out of the woods. Long way from it, as a matter of fact. But they are at least hopefully back on the upswing. Um, and I would love to see that they, you know, again, like I said, can kind of see some level of success similar to what they had before. Um, in particular in the U.S., I hope they can get their kind of American uh, side of things up and running because from what I'm hearing from different shops and mechanics and stuff, Mavic U.S. is is is, is still not... Uh, operational or something something's going on with the u.s side and difficult to get a hold of uh impossible seemingly like non-existent customer service that sort of thing may Uh, not exist but anyway mavic gets my award for the rise from the ashes category because i cannot recall a big company like that that has been so close to death who has come back and succeeded so i'm hoping that they can pull it off yeah fingers crossed all right, Dave, what is your last category for the 2020 Cycling Tippies Awards? Uh, well, I know who I'm not getting a Christmas card from for this one. Uh, most defensive email campaign. Yeah, uh, me, because I'm gonna I'm the one that's going to have to field this phone call next week. Sorry, You're Kelly. not getting a Christmas card from me. Oh, well, I might have to have my own most defensive email campaign after <laughs> this. But most defensive email campaign award goes to SRAM and its, 12th, uh, and its 10-tooth cog. Uh, if it had a 12-tooth cog, we wouldn't be having this issue. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so basically this comes from the Tour Down Under where James uh, reported on uh, the fact that SRAM's pro teams uh, don't necessarily use their 10-tooth cog, it seems. Uh, some of the bikes were locked out, so the smallest they could get to was the 11th tooth, from what we could tell. Uh, and then they use pro-sized chainrings, so they're actually using larger chainrings than what you'd ever need with a 10-tooth cog. Uh, so yeah, all signs point to them not using that 10-tooth cog. Um, and we did a little bit of a story on that, about how there's quite a lot of frictional loss once you get into such a small cog. And then a month or two later, just coincidentally out of the blue, no reason at all, SRAM um, ran an email campaign through their mailing list about why the 10-tooth cog makes the most sense and why it is superior and why the efficiency losses just don't matter. Um, So yeah, for me, I I think kudos to them for answering our complaints uh, while completely ignoring... uh, the criticisms we had. Um, oh God, they're going to be so mad at me. <laughs> uh, again. I may, I should just reiterate, I, we all love SRAM products. Um, <laughs> but from a racing point of view, there, there are scientifically backed efficiency losses by using such a small cog. And that is all we're saying. The 10 tooth in particular. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So... Anyway, that's that's the end of uh, end of it, and uh, yeah, I'll start preparing my defensive email. Please join. <laughs> please join Velo Club. Please, please, please do it. Please join Velo Club. So we all have jobs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm making a grimace emoji face right now. <laughs> oh yes, yes. No, yes. we're kidding. We're kidding. We're kidding. I mean, it's yeah. It's one of those things, you know, a brand, they've, they've developed this thing, they've got their, they believe in it, they're going to defend it, that's no surprise. It's our job to try to poke holes in that defense. This is how things are supposed to work, and that's what we're doing. Anyway, final, the final award, James. It's got your name next to it. All right, this is a big one. This is the biggest cluster F of 2020. This cycling tippy goes to COVID and its effect on the bicycle industry supply chain. Can we just mention just flat out that 2020 was bullshit? Uh, it it was sucked. Like just it's real. Just, it's just terrible. Just terrible for so many reasons. So bad. So bad. Months ago when the pandemic first started, we ran a column from the Secret Industry Insider that talked about how COVID was basically just going to completely screw up the entire bicycle industry supply chain. And as it turns out, this year was probably one of the best on record for a whole bunch of people in the bike industry, companies, bike shops. I mean, bicycle the bicycle business has just been absolutely booming this year as a result of COVID because it was one of the only things that you could do outside safely without running a you know super big risk of catching the Rona. Um, 
But that said, the you know, so so this this column that was that we posted a while ago predicted, you know, was was awfully full of doom and gloom and saying how, you know, we basically just weren't gonna be able to get anything. And to a certain extent, that was true, mainly because people were buying everything that they could. But from what I understand, essentially, it's not that the secret industry insider was wrong. It's just more that the issues that this person was predicting have taken longer to come to fruition than was originally expected. Because from what I am hearing now, while 2020 may have been really good for the bicycle industry in, in a lot of ways, you know, people buying bikes and equipment and whatever, just everything's flying off the shelves. 2021 is looking like it's going to be a very different story because the things that I am hearing from inside the industry as far as lead times and availability, it is going to be extremely ugly. So basically, if you had any, any idea that you were going to buy a new bike in 2021, I would suggest that you buy it now because there is a very good chance that you are really not going to be able to buy that bike next year. So companies like Shimano supposedly are quoting two OEMs lead times of almost a year. So they are basically telling companies from what I hear that if you are a bike company and you want to order Shimano parts and spec them on your bike, you should be doing that for the 2022 model year at this point. You should be placing those orders now because you are not going to be able to really get them for your 2021 model year bike. Or it's going to be very difficult. Which would difficult. explain Durace. Yep. There we go. It would. But come, uh, come around full circle on that one. And and on that, I would just put a shout out to support local where you can because these are going to flow through to the very small bike shops that are going to struggle to get stock and are going to struggle to keep their doors open. So if you've got a shop that you you love and they do something for the community, then probably support them through ne next year, even if you can't buy a bike from them. Indeed. So I would suggest picking up a few key spares patching your damn tubes because inner tubes are going to be something that very likely you're going to have a hard time getting for a little while potentially uh and you know like i said if if you don't love your bike now and you were looking to get a new one i would suggest buying the new one first before you sell off the old one because i know plenty of people who have sold their old bike planning to buy the new bike and said new bike not being available for months and months and months so don't fall into that trap um but yes just keep, keep all that in mind because COVID has been good to the bike industry in a lot of ways in 2020, and it was looking like it is not going to be quite as friendly in 2021. So, dear COVID, yeah. screw you. Yeah. And for further proof of, proof of this, uh, you'll see our field test published in January that is missing many comparative bikes because for once, uh, the brands, no matter how hard they tried and tried to pull out bikes from any market, they could not get us bikes to test. So... Um, yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, I mean that 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 really says it more than anything, right? Like, yeah, okay, yeah. consumers are out there trying to spend their own money on a bicycle, and yeah. the bike company is like, "We don't have one for you." We're going to companies and saying, "We would like to put your bicycle in front of hundreds of thousands of people." Yeah, this is you know, it, it's it's essentially earned, uh, and they still can't find one, right? They can't they can't find one for bike media. So this yeah. is how to bad this is for going to be. A month. To borrow for a month, not, not even, even to, to keep. keep. Yeah, yeah, just to borrow for a month, take some photos, ride a bit, and then give back. They still don't have bikes for that, which is something. I mean, you guys, James in particular, you've been in the bike industry longer than I have. I'm, I've been in it for ten years now. I've never run across that, not nope. once. Uh, I, I'm trying to think of a time actually ever where I requested a bike and I could not get. At least something very similar. Like maybe they didn't mm -hmm. have the exact model or the exact build or whatever, but they could get me a bike. Yeah. I can't, I don't think it's ever happened. No. And this wasn't a one off. This is multiple brands Cannondale, Specialized, Scott, BMC. All these brands could not get us bikes. So, uh, yeah. I think uh, James's wise words are uh, indeed to come. So there you go. Be true. Order your bike now. Maybe pick up a chain, pick up a couple tubes, pick up some patches, support your bike shop in any any way you can at this point in time. Let them do your labor and whatever else because you don't want them to disappear. Is that it, fellas? That is it. That is a wrap on the 2020 Cycling Tippies Awards. All righty. Well, before we go, quick reminder, head over to cyclingtips.com slash sign up to sign up for Velo Club. Velo Club is our... 
membership program. Uh, it supports everything that we do here at Cycling Tips. It makes it makes this podcast possible where we can poke the bike industry in the eye with a stick and still be okay. Uh, it's the reason why we can be totally honest with our audience. It's it's a huge important part of everything that we do here at CT. So head over there, cyclingtips.com slash sign up. There are monthly sign up or monthly payment options. Uh, a friend of mine recently mentioned that I should mention this on the podcast. You don't have to buy the whole thing for the whole year. You can just pay monthly just like you do with your your Amazon Prime or your Netflix or whatever else. Uh, just you know hits your card every month and supports the content that you love that comes out of Cycling Tips, which I think is a pretty good, pretty good purchase. And with that, that's it for us for the for 2020. Indeed. We are going to take a little bit of a break over the holidays. In the meantime, make sure you tell all your friends about the Nerd Alert podcast. Make sure you subscribe. Leave us a comment. Leave us a rating. And we will see you in, I think, about two or three weeks at this point. We're going to take a break until after the new year and sit around and eat a bunch of holiday food and hopefully not work in maybe even motorbike a little bit. Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. Maybe. All right. We will see you all in 2021. Thanks for listening. See ya. Bye, everybody.